Have you ever heard the saying, tough times never last, but tough people do? (laughs) That sounds heroic, but sometimes toughness is not enough. There are times when we need a helping hand. As COVID-19 drags on, more and more of us are looking for help. But where do we turn when everyone is needy? Who can lend a hand? That's the question that Nathan, Vicky, and Kent are asking today. Join them as they look for the answer in the book of Genesis. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkis, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 13 and 14 as we join their discussion. Life continues to be tough during this pandemic. This disease just doesn't seem to want to go away. And many people are suffering in many different ways, including economically. That's because all kinds of industries are struggling. And as a result, so are their employees. One thing that the U.S. government did a number of months ago to help ease the pandemic pain was to send out stimulus checks. And so last spring, people began receiving checks of $1,200 from the government. Couples ended up with $2,400 in unexpected cash. How do you think, how do you guys think people used that money? What do you think they did with it? Well, I'll tell you what we did. We, uh, we had some home improvement projects that Need is too strong of a word, but want is too weak of a word. <laughs> so uh, so we'd been holding off to save up and, well, it came along. And so we were able to uh, to do those home improvement projects. I just think that's great, Nathan. And your wife is lucky to have a handy husband. I took some of my money and spent it. I took some of it and I saved it. And I know the government really wanted us to use all of it. Yeah, what was interesting, according to a survey that was conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau, 14% of all Americans saved it, as you did, Vicki. 16% used the money to pay off debt. And 70% spent it, as Nathan did, is on personal needs. But was that a need? Anyway, it's a sort mm. of need. Um, <laughs> but what I found interesting, and there's nothing wrong with that, I guess, but nobody said they used the money to help other people. Mm. I mean, nobody responded to the survey to say, I helped my neighbor. I uh, paid off someone else's debt or something. Does that surprise you? Well, let me say I've taken in somebody from my church, so I I did do that. I did. I honestly did. I've got somebody living here. And now I feel really convicted. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad. (laughs) And I didn't even mention it. I'm such a godly woman. (laughs) No, but seriously, if if, uh, with all the people hurting, There was no mention, no significant response at least, uh, to the survey that said they used it for the good of others. Does that surprise you that that wasn't? Yeah, it is surprising, isn't it? It is surprising. It's sad that that's not the knee-jerk go-to reaction because a lot of people need money right now. I mean, I kind of get it. It's it's human nature. The Bible says we're all sinful and and, um, the essence of sin is selfishness. I mean, that's the the primary motivation for every sin that that we could possibly commit. I just feel like you're heaping on me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Just pour it on. (laughs) 
<laughs> but if everybody is looking after themselves, then who is helping others? I mean, whose job is it? As we try to find an answer for that question, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 13 and 14, because I think there's some clues to how we solve that problem. In Genesis chapter 13 and 14. Listen up here, Nathan. <laughs> I'll read this to you. <laughs> so Abram went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Boy, Lot tags along a lot in, in this. Abraham had been very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he went to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there Abraham called Abram, he was still called Abram then, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Yeah, thanks, Vicki. It's important in this opening paragraph to notice two things. First, in verses three and four, it specifically mentions that he um, called on the name of the Lord. So I think that is talking about a deeper relationship with God. I think what we saw beginning in chapter 12 is now growing much more mature, as faith does in over time, or should over time. We're seeing that happen with Abram. We also notice in the text, in verses 1 and 2, how God blessed Abram materially. I mean, it says, Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now, it's interesting. Abram didn't follow God to become rich. There's no indication in the text that that was his motivation at all. And it's interesting, if you look back at chapter 12, that God never promised to make him rich. But God chose to bless Abram with wealth just because he wanted to. God loves to pour out his grace on others. I think as the relationship developed, God wanted to demonstrate his love for Abram in that tangible way. So knowing that, that Abram is growing in his relationship with God and God is responding with great generosity, I want to look at a number of different scenes in this text. There's four scenes in these next two chapters that uh, I think are significant for us. Notice scene one. Nathan, in the verses that follow, an issue arose between Abraham and his nephew Lot. Can you tell us about that in verses five through seven? Yeah, it says, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites also were living in the land. So there wasn't enough space. Good fences make good neighbors. They had no fences. That's right. So they had a problem. And what did Abram do about it? We read in the text, in verses 8 and following, that Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, uh, I'll go to the right. If you go right, I'll go to the left. So what's his conflict resolution strategy here? I remember this as a kid because I remember the flannel graph picture. There's this big, <laughs> either up on a hill, if Mrs. May's flannel graph lesson was right, they're up on a hill and it was beautiful and bounteous and green off to the right and Abraham let Lot choose 
And of course, he chose the beautiful green bounteous part. And Abraham took the ruddy rocky part. Yeah. I don't know that I put my faith totally in the final graph, but the idea is correct. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was terrible on the other side, but it was certainly not as good. In fact, we read in verse 10 that Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. <laughs> he stands up and says, I'm taking the best for myself. There's a pretty good argument why Abraham didn't have to do that, right? I mean, Abraham didn't have to give him that choice. He didn't no, have he, to let him take the best. Lot was the one who was tagging along to him. Yeah, right. he was. He was tagging along. Right. So he's a hitchhiker coming along in the backseat of the car and gets the offer and says, I'm going to take the best. Abraham could have said, look, this is a result of my relationship with the Lord. I'm the one that trusted God. I'm the one that acted in faith. I'm the one that God made this promise to. I'm keeping it for myself. And instead, what did he do? He said, we'll solve the problem. And I'm going to do it with an act of selfless generosity. Hmm. That's interesting. Anyway, we move on. And there is yet another scene. In chapter 14, the story continues. And, uh, well, we got a problem here. We read that war broke out among some of the regional kings. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, it says that the four victorious kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. And they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Hmm. <laughs> now, there's a twist in the story. If you were Abram and you heard that your selfish nephew who took your best land to enrich himself at your expense now found himself without land or money and frankly, a prisoner, what might be your instinctive reaction? I would brush up on that tune. Na -na 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 -na. <laughs> <laughs> Schadenfreude. Yes, it's, it's the German word Schadenfreude. It's when your enemies get what's coming to them and you are happy about it. Uh, it's a great word. We don't have one in English, and I think no. we need one. I, I'm not saying it's a positive attribute, but and I'm, I'm not proud to say it, but I experience that when, when people I don't particularly like kind of get what's coming to them, right? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's like getting revenge, but you didn't have to do anything. Yes. Right? right. <laughs> Free and clear. Oh, oh, that's the idea of karma, huh? Yeah, that's the whole yeah. idea. You could easily sit back and say, that's it. You got nothing. And, that, and no one would have blamed him, right? No. No one would have blamed Abraham for doing nothing. No. Nope. But did he do something? Yeah. In fact, would you read that for us, Vicki? Sure. Chapter 14, verses 14 to 16. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit. During the night, boy, this is a big outfit he had, 319 yeah. trained men and yep. went in pursuit. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. Well, that's again, wow. it was an act of selfless generosity. It was. Here we go again. So who took the risk? He did, and don't you know Lot was glad to see them? I bet you he was. And don't you think he was wondering? I wonder... <laughs> I'm going to be rescued, or people are going to say good riddance. I, d I doubt he had any idea. No. 
Well, obviously the Kings or the the Raiders didn't know either. (laughs) So he's risking his own men. He's risking his own life. This could have turned out badly. And what does he do? Out of his heart, he responds with selfless generosity to help Lot. That's just what he did. Hmm. Anyway, let's look at the next scene and see what we discover there. Because we read that on the way back from battle, Abram met a priest. Nathan, fill us in on what happened when he met this priest. After Abram returned from defeating Ketolamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Okay, so they meet the priest of God Most High. So this this mysterious man, Melchizedek, obviously had a relationship with God. So the same God that Abraham put his trust in. The one true God. The one true God. And uh, he comes out just to give Abram some news. That the God Most High delivered your enemies into your hand. Okay, that was, that was nice. So how did Abram respond to that? In verse 20, what does it say, Vicki? It said that Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Huh. Did God ask for that? No. Did Melchizedek ask for it? It doesn't say no, that in the text. No, God didn't ask for it. No. Melchizedek didn't ask for it. He did not say, quid pro quo, I did this for you, you do this for me. This was not a bargain. This was not an arrangement. God's not asking for payment. But what does Abram instinctively do? He says, I am so grateful. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. Again, that's a spontaneous act of selfless generosity, isn't it? Yeah. It is. is. He's not giving because he has to. He's giving because he wants to. It's part of who he is now. But let's look at the final scene. The final scene among these and what follows. So in verse 21, we read, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Okay. I want my cut, in essence, is what he's saying in verse 21. And how did Abram respond? I've sworn an oath to the Lord that I will accept nothing belonging to you. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who are with me. Let them have their share. What did Abram just end up saying? I'm not keeping anything for myself. Nothing. Did he have a right to? Yep. Of course he did. This is a defeated king coming out and saying, I want my stuff back. I mean, you can't, he has no right to anything. And he says, no, I'm no problem. I'll give it back. I'll give everything back. But I want to make sure that my men get what's coming to them. They need to get their fair share. I'm not volunteering. They lose their money, but I will take nothing. All this is totally pro bono. This is, once again, an act of selfless generosity. We see this happen again and again and again and again. Four scenes, all showing Abraham acting with selfless generosity. Why, why is this being seen? Why, why do we see it now when we never saw it before? Well, I think the answer comes from the very first paragraph that we looked at. I think Abraham is growing. I think his faith is growing. Abraham knows 
that the God who could supply all his needs yesterday can do so tomorrow. He doesn't have to keep all his gold in a bag. He knows that the God who put it there in the first place can put more in. His life is in God's hands. He knows that his father will look after him. His faith in God is growing so he can be more generous. But secondly, I think his character is changing. As he continues to call out to the Lord, as he continues to, to grow closer to God, the more he acts like God. God, I think God in his very nature is a generous God. And those who love him will act like him. They will demonstrate the same kind of generosity that God demonstrates. Vicki Nathan, let's test that statement against scripture, can we? According to the Bible, can you see any evidence that God is a generous God? Oh yeah, absolutely. In what ways? How, how have we seen his generosity? Well, he says he gives rain to the just and the unjust. The biggest gift he gave is he sent his son to die a horrible death so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our own yeah, sins. That's generosity to the extreme. To the extreme, yeah. yeah. Any other examples come to mind? Well, he does provide for us. Yep. And I don't know, I think back to Genesis, he made us. <laughs> he chose to give us life, to make us in his image, to have a relationship with him, to love him. He, want, he wants to walk with us um, as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. Um, he's preparing a place for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He, I mean, his generosity is measureless. It is boundless. And as we come closer into the image of Christ, we will demonstrate the generosity of God. So let me circle back to where we began our conversation today. Where can our country and our community find the helping hand they need in the midst of this terrible COVID-19 crisis and beyond? Where can they find it? In you and me, in the people of God, in our churches. Because when our faith grows to where we know that God can and will provide for our needs, then we can share with others. And when our character becomes molded into the image of Christ, we will be as generous with others as he has been generous to us. People who don't know God as their savior, the sin that is within them is always selfish. The essence of sin is selfishness. It's a black hole that wants to take and take and take and take. But when God comes in and transforms our heart, when we become like him, when our hearts become dominated by love and not by selfishness, then we become generous people and we help those around us. That's why James says in James chapter two, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In other words, no generosity. Can such faith save them? Ah, suppose a brother or sisters without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, regenerosity, is dead. Generosity is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So if the people of God are to be part of the solution to a needy COVID-19 world, what would that look like? 
Nathan, I think it's going to brag on you a little bit. It was a while ago that you sent me an email and at a surprise. I think your administrator put together a list of some of the stuff that your church has done in the midst of this COVID-19 world. And as I read that list, I said, now there is a generous church. I know you're in a small church. Cool. Stuff like what? I know you're in a small church, small place, but would you mind sharing some of the things that your church did to be generous to the community around them? Yeah, the church that I serve, I, I get to serve a very generous church. And we had written out a basically an end of year giving letter to our congregation, uh, thanking them. And I was just amazed when uh, the secretary put together a list of everything we'd done in the midst of the pandemic. We, we helped a neighbor build a wheelchair ramp. We had regular meal distributions for basically half the year, 23 weeks. Uh, we served meals on a regular basis. We had a laundry and a cleaning basket giveaway. People could drive up and just take wow. away cleaning supplies. And they all had toilet paper back when you couldn't find toilet paper. <laughs> we adopted basically our, our elementary school, our public elementary school, and brought water, boxes of tissues, crayons, and notebooks back when they didn't have funding because funding was cut because of COVID and tax season being low. We uh, joined with other churches in the area and served a variety of needs. We've held flu shot clinics, given out Thanksgiving baskets, and, uh, and, and partnered with the high school to help provide physical needs during the Christmas season. I'll put it that way to others. And, uh, and I know now we, uh, we just uh, financed a well in Uganda with uh, one of our mm -hmm. partners over there. Um, and that kind of happened rather quickly. Uh, and, and it's just out of the generosity of the church themselves. And, and to be really honest, there are times where we get together as a team and I'm like, all right, here's what it is. Let's throw 50 bucks to it. Right. <laughs> and my leadership is like, I think we can do better than that. And let's do the whole thing. And I'm like, you're talking about magnitudes, <laughs> greater amount of financing. And well, yeah, we have the money, don't we? Yeah, we can. And. Well, and I know our, our local association, we um, we were able to forgive um, $1.4 million in medical debt when we partnered with uh, with an organization right. that, that. Uh, that forgives medical debt. I, I mean, yeah. it was just the amount that we were able to serve our community during this pandemic was just unreal. And that was the hand of God. That's and that's from our congregation. That's from our area churches. I can't I can't brag on myself because um, I spent all of our money on home improvements. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's, that's how, as Jesus said to his disciples, you are salt and light in the world. When we are growing into the character of Christ, when our faith is becoming more mature and deeper and fuller, like Abram, we'll find ourselves in all kinds of different situations radiating selfless generosity to all those around us. And when people see us and our churches acting in that way, they see Christ. There's no better way to supplement the preaching of God's word than to be living a life like Abraham was living in these chapters. When they see God in us, they'll want the God who wants them. How should we act in light of how God blesses us? As we grow in our faith, we will respond by being more and more generous to others. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life. 
to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Genesis. Be sure to join us.